Welcome to the Thy Neighbor Podcast, conversations with everyday people who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. I am your host and occasional solo caster, Tracy Robbins King. If you are inspired by this episode and someone comes to mind as you listen, share this with that person. If you have benefited from the podcast, please like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. Your ratings, reviews, and shares make a difference and allow this podcast to reach more remarkable people like you. When was the last time you did a really hard thing? Something that tested your character day in and day out. How did it feel when you made it through the challenge? Victorious? Proud? Exhausted? What about a weakness or disadvantage? Something that keeps showing its ugly head in your life and you feel like will be your constant companion. What do you do with the things that stick around? The things that don't go away in our lives? Matt Seeley, today's guest, is someone who has his own unique answers to these questions. He is the proud husband to Allison, the happy father of Hazel, Rue, and Harvey, and of course, one of the funniest people I know. I am so excited for you to learn from him today. And will you start us off by telling us about your weight loss journey? Thanks, Tracy. That's a lot to live up to. And if I'm not as funny as anybody's expecting from that intro, I was funnier when I was fat. I'm just going to put that out there. My what, As soon as I lost weight, my friends immediately started a Facebook page called Get Matt Fat Again, because I guess I've lost a little bit. I have less to work with, so to speak. I don't know. Anyway. Did they really do that? Yeah, they wanted me to. They said $5 for every pound I gained back. I stood to make some money from it too, but I ultimately chose my health and well-being over their cold cash. (laughs) Anyway, sorry, your question, my weight loss journey. So I guess I'll start from the beginning. I was born the wonderful year of 1988, and there was nothing unusual about my childhood, really. I was, grew up, I was 17 months younger than my older brother, Jimmy. And so we were really close in age and we were so close in age that my mom would just buy two of everything. So anytime she bought something at the store, she'd just get two and we both wear that. People thought we were twins because of it, even though we didn't look a lot alike. We thought we were maybe paternal twins and you know, we weren't. But then when I turned six, I just started gaining weight inexplicably fast gaining weight and put on the pounds. By the time I was 13, I wore bigger pants than my dad. And, you know, my dad was a larger man as well. He was heavier set. So I was just a very big kid. Always got comments, you know, are you on the football team? Which I wasn't. I was the furthest thing from a football player. (laughs) I had one teacher in in middle school who wanted me so bad to come out for the wrestling team because he would be able to add a whole new weight division to his wrestling team if I was on it. And he tried so hard, but sports is not my thing. I call all sports sports ball just to refer to all of it because that's about the extent of I know about sports is that there's balls involved. Yeah. So not a sports guy, but everybody, you know, all the time. 
you're a linebacker. What position do you play? And that's the only way I think people can make sense of it. This kid who was so young, who was so big. And a lot of people have asked when I tell about my story, they're like, well, what kind of trauma did you experience? Were you sexually abused? Because a lot of studies are showing that a lot of kids who are obese go through some sort of trauma and their bodies putting on weight is almost a self-defense mechanism to deal with that trauma they're experiencing. And my heart goes out to anybody who that's the case for. Luckily for me, I can say that's not my story. I don't know exactly why I put on the weight. I've seen doctors since and they're all like, yeah, metabolism looks good. Thyroid looks good. All the TLO, all the things you check. They're like, yeah, looks good, man. So I don't have anything to pinpoint it back to. And maybe I'd find more, but I've seen at least three doctors and they're like, yeah, it looks good. So all I know for me, my story is I gain weight rapidly and I gain it very, very easily. And so I did. I just put on the pounds until I was 18 and I was at my highest weight of just under 300 pounds. And I'm 5'8", so I'm not a tall guy. I was rounder than I was tall, which again, for the comedic effect was quite beneficial to me. And that's really, I think, one of the coping mechanism I used for it is I just turned everything to comedy. It was a lot of fun. My friends in high school called me Matty Fatty. <laughs> and I've kept that nickname on all my social accounts now. Um, and I just kind of embraced it and owned it, you know. But in the back of my mind was always this, always the idea, I want to lose the weight. I want to be healthy. I want to get skinny. And my thoughts then and the world that I grew up in was very weight loss centric, very focused on that, right? I think today's society is a little more woke, a little more conscientious of maybe that's not the healthiest way to think about yourself and about your body, but that's the world that I grew up in. So my entire childhood into my early adulthood was, I've got to lose the weight. I've got to get it off. I've got to be more healthy. Really just in my mind, skinny, 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 skinny is better. That's what I want. And I tried so many times, right? Like I remember vividly being um, nine years old and going out on my bike And I was like, okay, I'm going to ride up and down this hill 10 times every day until I'm skinny. And I didn't have any guidance. My parents didn't know a lot about nutrition or exercise. They grew up, you know, they're boomers and they grew up behind a desk with a pension and it's just the world they grew up in. So they didn't know. And one day I was riding, well, I'd ride down the hill and I'd walk up because I wasn't strong enough to pedal my chubby little self up the hill and people stop and some guy leans out his window. You know, you'd, you'd get a lot better exercise if you ride up the hill too. And just things like that to a nine-year-old kid, you know? And, and I think that was the last time I did it when that guy stopped and told me that as I was walking up the hill, I was like, Oh, I'm doing it wrong. I'll just go home. So it was always there. It was always in the back of my mind. I tried so many times different things when I was 11 I went cold turkey drinking soda pop. I haven't had a soda since I was 11 years old, just thinking, oh, that'll help me. You know, soda's bad for you. That was a buzz thing. So I knew soda was bad. So that'll help me. But again, without a lot of guidance from anybody, really, I replaced soda with juice 
because of the marketing around juice at the time, you know, oh, glass of orange juice is so healthy. Drink apple juice, apple a day, right? Like not even thinking like so many juices have more sugar than most sodas do, right? And so I replaced soda with juice and don't see any results, but still hung on to that thinking like, well, if I don't do that, I'll get thin. Anyway, at 18 years old, I am ready to, so I grew up in the Mormon church and I'm getting ready to go on a mission for my church. And I send in all my papers. And again, it's always in the back of my mind, all growing up, even to this point, it's like, maybe once I go on my mission, maybe that's the time I'll lose the weight. I don't know, but I know I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. Anyway, I'm applying to go on the mission and I get word back from them. Hey, we want you to go, but we won't let you go until you've lost 10 pounds. And my leader at the time was like, Matt, I think this is just an arbitrary number they're throwing out because they want to see if you can do it. Anyway, I told them not to worry about you. I told them you'd do it and to give you an assignment. And so right then and there, I was like, I have to do this. I have to do this right now. And it was Halloween day that I got this. And I'm a diehard trick-or-treater. I dress up every year. I go trick-or-treating every year to this day. Utah State University, I was dressed as Cookie Monster, ready to go trick-or-treating. And I was like, that's it. I'm done with candy. Any sweets, anything you consider a dessert, candy, treat, sweets, I'm done. Cold turkey. And so I went out that night trick-or-treating, brought all my candy home to my roommates, threw it on the table. And I was like, here, that's your guys's. I'm not eating it anymore. And I was just like, I'm done. I've got, I've got to do this. And so I went cold turkey on candy right then and there. That was hard because our roommates, we had this thing that if anybody kissed a girl, you had to bring that girl home with you with ice cream. Again, different time, right? Like maybe that wouldn't be appropriate today, but that was what we did. And so it didn't matter what time of night either. Like if you came home at 2.30 a.m., you woke everybody up and brought them out to eat ice cream with this girl that you just kissed. Poor girls that we probably traumatized, right? <laughs> I can say I didn't traumatize any of those girls in that way, but my roommate sure did. And so, you know, they one night after I'd made this resolution, one of my roommates brings a girl home. It's 2 a.m. ice cream. And I'm just sitting there in the corner with a bowl eating carrots. <laughs> it's like, got to eat something. I mean, congrats, guys. You kissed. Wow. <laughs> that is so um, funny. I feel like there's a lot of those things up your sleeve. A lot of those funny things that your friends would do to like keep things lively. To keep things lively. Yeah. I don't know. That was, it was something, but we did it anyway. So then I got my mission call to go to South Korea and I was like, all right, here we go. And then to go there, you have to spend for Korea with the language. You had to spend three months in the mission training center. So I was there for three months and then I was going to Korea and for three months in the training center, I ate salads for lunch and dinner and I ate oatmeal for breakfast and I ran a mile every single day during exercise time and a mile for me, it took me like 18 minutes to run a mile at that weight. And I'm doing all of this for three months And I don't lose a pound. 
And which is kind of crazy, right? And I think anywhere else in my life, I had never tried this hard. And so to try at a level you've never tried at before and still not see any results was just like a little bit crushing, right? But like everybody I was there with, all the other missionaries were just like so supportive on on board. And they were like, you're trying so hard. Like eventually, like something's got to happen. And they were all in my corner, but nothing did happen. And we went to Korea. And then I get to Korea and I'm put with a new companion, my senior companion, who's going to teach me the ropes and everything. And I tell him, look, I'm trying to lose weight. So I need your help doing that. And he was like, okay, yeah, whatever you want to do, we can do that. And at the end of our first day, he's like, hey, man, it's been a long day. We're tired. You worked really hard. Let's go get some ice cream. And I looked at him and I was like, no, like I told you, I'm trying to lose weight. Like I've got to do this. And he's like, oh, you're serious. I was like, yeah, I'm serious. I haven't had ice cream for, you know, at that point, it'd been like five months. I was like, I, I've got to do this. And he's like, all right, let's do it. And so that companion, Elder Johnson got me up every single day. We got up 45 minutes before you were supposed to get up just so we'd have more time to exercise. And he ran me up a mountain that was behind the house we lived in. And we'd run up this mountain every single day. And it was terrible. I just was so sick, felt like I was going to throw up. My companion, he's like 6'3 and just athletically built, you know? So he's just cruising and I'm a mile behind him. And we'd run behind these garbage trucks that just stunk so bad. Oh, it was terrible. I felt like I was going to throw up every day, like every day for six months. Cause I kept running. I felt like I was going to throw up and we get to the top of the mountain. And then we do like, they had weights on the top of the mountain and uh, the Koreans on top would come up to me. You so big. Oh, you. And they'd come up and they would cup my man breasts and they'd say, <laughs> well, this girl. And then they point at their own and they'd be like, boy, girl, boy. And just like, anyway, they became like my new cheer squad. You know, every day I'd come up there and they'd be like, you go like, and they were so supportive. They bought me a scale so that I could track my progress. And they cheer every time I made it to the top of the hill. And they give me advice on like things to do and workouts to do. Um, and a month of this goes by and I still haven't lost any weight. And so now we're at four months of doing all of this and nothing's happening. And I'm just like, so discouraged. Right. And my companion's just like, Matt, your body can't win. Like at the end of the day, your body's going to have to give in at some point because so we're running two miles every morning. We're walking anywhere from 10 to 15 miles every day, and we're eating very traditional Korean food. So there's a lot of different food in Korea. You can get McDonald's, of course. You know, McDonald's is everywhere. And they've got some fried foods, and they've got other stuff. But um, we're, you know, to be more healthy, we're sticking to a traditional Korean diet of pretty little meat, water-based soups, tons of veggies, rice. Like, that's what I'm eating, Right. And so doing all that, my companion was just like, this is a recipe for success at some point, at some point it's got to get. And then one day I stepped on the scale and I had lost seven pounds and it was just like, 
what? You know, and I was freaking out and he was freaking out. And then every week from there on out, six, seven, six, seven, six, seven pounds until I got down and I had lost 120 pounds. And again, different age and time. My first, the first feedback I get from almost everybody I tell this story is, well, you know, that's really unhealthy to lose that much weight every week. You should only lose one to two pounds a week, which I I think any nutritionist would tell you that, but that with, you got to remember this was pre-Facebook, pre-iPhone, pre-all of this, like that was not common knowledge like it is today. And I didn't know what I was doing. Nobody was telling me anything. And so I was just doing what I could. So for me, like it was just absolutely phenomenal and exciting. And I was just so grateful for it. Right. And so then I just kept that up through my mission. I kept running every time I would change companions. I would start by telling them, look, I have a goal and this has been a struggle my whole life. And I've made so much progress would you please be willing to wake up early with me earlier than we have to, which is a huge sacrifice. So like to every single one of those companions, thank you. It was so nice of them and just give us more time to exercise. And so by the end of my mission, I was running five or six miles every single morning, plus the 10 to 15 mile walking every day, plus the eating right. Right. So I came home, I had no muscle on me because all I was doing was running and I was 160 pounds and just a twig. And so then that was a big adjustment getting home. And that's a continuation of the story. I don't know how much we want to get into that, but just the gaining some weight back, trying to keep it off, trying to fit American food back into my diet. I decided that I would not eat treats again until I got engaged. And so I was, you know, for 10 plus years, I was totally off all sweets And so then that was another thing to deal with in my life is when I did get engaged and starting eating treats again, figuring out how to work that into everything. And so the, a huge takeaway for me on my health journey is that it's never ending and it's always continuing having kids. Like that was another huge adjustment. Like how do you find time to take an hour out of your day to exercise when kids come into the mix. Like it's a huge disruptor to your life, right? And so I remember thinking when I was a kid, when I was that nine-year-old with that bike, in my mind, if I could just lose the weight, I'd never have to think about it again. Like if I can just look like my big brother, Jimmy, like once it's off, then it's done. Then I can eat what I want to. Then all these problems go away. I don't have to think about it again. And when I was a little bit older, a teenager, the day I realized this will be a lifelong companion problem issue that I'll have was a super depressing day. And now it's a companion, but I don't see it as a problem anymore. I see it as I'm so grateful that I learned the lesson I did when I did, because now it's helping me and something that I've been able to adopt and will be able to keep going with that. I was able to learn in my early twenties where I look at a lot of people who are in the different boat of, they had the um, natural metabolism and thin bodies all through their adolescence. And now it's flipped on them and they don't know what to do. And it's a huge struggle for so many people. So I, it was hard to go through it when I did as a kid in that time, But now on the flip side, I'm grateful for it because 
early on in life, I was able to build some knowledge and skills that are helping me so much today. Oh, it's so good. I know some people are going to be like, keep talking, Matt, like keep talking. I do kind of want to know more about how you've been able to, because on your t-shirt, everybody, we have Matt's t-shirt, which is two balloons that say body and mind. And they're, they're coming over, overlapping one another. And in the middle is health. And then it's uh, a cartoon version of Maddie Fatty. With <laughs> some like, midriff going on, you know, don't want to leave that out. <laughs> so great. Um, you guys can go to his Instagram or his TikTok to see some of that as well. But I, I do want to kind of talk about how did you figure out the whole, the body and the mind and that together, that's what health is, not just the body, which is a natural focus. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, a huge focus for me growing up. Right. But I think for me, it happened because of how my parents raised me and retrospectively, I'm so grateful for it. Right. My parents had a huge focus on confidence from the time we were little, little kids. So my weight was never focused on, you know, it it was the elephant in the room. We all knew it was there. Sometimes I think Again, I do wish, I mean, I'm happy how they raised me. I, you know, a little bit more knowledge in nutrition and health would have been nice, but I'm glad it wasn't their focus. So many studies are coming out showing that the more you focus on that, the more you make kids work out or diet, the more resentful they are. And the more it does the exact opposite of what you want it to do. Because my parents didn't know a lot about that, they didn't talk a lot about it, but they did talk a lot about my intrinsic worth and value. And that was never, ever tied to my weight. And so anytime I was feeling sad or feeling bad about it, they were always telling me how incredible I was and how amazing I was. And they were always helping me problem solve. Well, we can't do anything about kids teasing you, but we can decide what you're going to do about it. Do you want to go talk to them? Do you want to ignore it? Do you want, you know, and they help me problem solve through those things. So From a very young age, I felt like my weight did not determine my worth, which I just think is hugely, hugely important, right? And I realized that even more after I lost the weight, because before I lost the weight, I had all of these ideas of what my life would be like when I lost weight. I thought, okay, the first, (laughs) first horrible misconception of my life I thought that I was bad at sports ball and I thought that I had, I was bad at balance and, and skiing and all that kind of stuff because I was fat, like the two and two, they coincided in my mind. And it was like, okay, this is why I'm not very good at those things. Come to find out 120 pounds later, I'm just not good at those things. <laughs> I could probably improve with practice and time, but like it had nothing to do with my weight. There are some very athletic very large people. Have you ever watched Tommy Boy? Yeah, yeah. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Charlie. Yes. Charlie. That guy can do somersaults around anyone. Like he could. He was amazing, you know, very big guy. Two weren't related. I thought they were. So, you know, and and then more than that, as I started to lose the weight, I was like, okay, I'm gonna look like this guy. I'm gonna look like this guy. I'm gonna look like this guy out of the magazine. I looked like a deformed figure from a horror movie, (laughs) like my, the skin, I just didn't know. Right. Like the biggest loser wasn't out then. I had never seen that 
before. So to see this loose skin hanging off of me was just mind boggling. And then it was like, okay, well then after I get skin removal surgery, then I'll look like these guys. No, now you have giant scars and you're still flabby in areas because it's not perfect. They can't make it perfect. They can't tighten it perfectly. It's still a little loose, right? And it really hit me one day when I was talking to my bodybuilder friend who is just like, he is out of a magazine. He makes calendars where he dresses up as a fireman with just suspenders on, you know, very good looking and very buff, right? And one day he's talking to me and he's like, yeah, Matt, if I could just look like this other guy at the gym, I'd be happy. And that's when it hit me, like my experience, his experience combined, we, it's human nature for us always to be looking like, well, if I get there, if I get there, if I get there. And I think it's probably evolution, right? Like it pushes us to try more and do more and be better, but it is a bad thing. If we think then we'll be happy, if we have to be happy today, because if we can't be happy today, and if we can't love ourselves today, no matter what tomorrow brings, it won't bring that. So I'm so grateful that my parents instilled that in me from the beginning. And I think part of it is just part of my personality of the joy I feel for life in general, I'm grateful for. Because if that wasn't a building block from the get-go, I don't think losing weight would have changed that for me. You know, when you did come back to the States and you started to have to make adjustments based on your diet. What have you learned about that? One of the first things was I had fallen in love with exercise, which again, if you ask any nutritionist, they're going to say building blocks of health first is nutrition and then is exercise. And it makes so much sense, right? Like it might take you 20 minutes to burn 250 calories on a treadmill of some fast paced running. And you can eat that in a Snickers bar in, if you're me, like 32 seconds, right? (laughs) And some other people might take a little bit longer, but I can down those things. And so it makes sense. You are never going to be able to outrun poor nutrition ever. But when you put the two together, like it's the fastest way to a healthier life. Like you can do one or the other If you're only going to do one, do nutrition first, but you know, ideally you're going to combine the two. And so first I had fallen in love with exercise and that drove me to want to eat well, because exercising is harder when you've got extra fat you're carrying around. Right. So like I was determined to never miss a day of running when I got home from my mission, because I had been on this street. Right. And I was like, I will never miss a day. And so every single day made sure that I ran. And I think that drove me to eat a little bit better. It was, it became very apparent, very fast that I was going to have to be careful because I got home and put on 20 pounds really quickly. And that was just from eating what we consider to be normal foods here, but our foods are so condensed and so packed with calories. A lot of them sugary calories that it can be hard. And so, and again, this isn't for some groups, this isn't a popular ideology today, but I just started counting calories religiously and it really helped me. I still, to this day, I'll put on my stories on Instagram calorie quizzes for people just because for me that more than anything, looking at a piece of bread and knowing it's 90 calories, you know, an egg and knowing that 72 calories, like that's all just off the top of my head. So I don't have to spend too much time tracking it all the time. I can just 
do quick calculations, knowing how much I've eaten and how much I have in my storage bank. Just for me, knowing that and thinking about it and keeping track of it is really helpful because it's really easy to sit down at breakfast and blow through the recommended sugar and to take for the day in one bowl of cereal. And none of us have one bowl of cereal, right? Recommended serving. I think they've actually upped it to one cup. For the longest time, it was half a cup. Who eats half a cup of cereal and feels full? Absolutely nobody. By the time you're done, you've had four and a half servings of cereal. And one serving was your recommended daily sugar intake. Thinking about that a lot and toning it back, because when I gained that, it scared me, right? And so that's when I really dove into more of the food science of things and knowing what my food is about. Knowledge is power, right? So knowing what my food is made up of, knowing how much energy my body needs and balancing all of that. And I've just continued to do that over the years, just reading different books, trying to always grow my knowledge of that has really helped. And that's interesting to me because applied knowledge is, to me, it's like knowledge isn't, isn't actually a power. It's applied knowledge that, yeah. I mean, that brings the results, right? That brings the sure. things that are actually going to be life-changing in and of themselves. And I feel like you got really good at application. You got really good at saying no, and you got good at figuring out how calorically dense things were and therefore could make choices that yeah. were more educated and yeah. that empower you. How has your exercise evolved? Yeah. So I obviously, from what I've said, started running on my mission. And so that's like how I lost the weight in my mind. So to me, running was king. There's nothing else you can do to burn that many calories in that amount of time. Like in my mind, this is, you know, running is better than anything else. And I just loved it. I love that you can just do it anywhere, anytime. You just throw on some shoes, old pair of shorts, a shirt, walk outside, your gym is there, right? Like it is so easy. I loved how easy it was. I love that you get to explore. That was one of my favorite things and a hashtag I used for a long time, like explore, run to explore because it's so fun. Like I knew my neighborhoods better than I think anybody else. Cause I just run and take different paths each time and go look at different things. So fun when you're traveling, like I, so many people are anti-exercise when they travel. They're like, no, you're on vacation. And I'm like, yeah, but I genuinely like love it. Cause I get up and I see things that other tourists don't see. And I meet people like you meet people while you're running. It's so fun. I love it. So I still love running. I still go out and run every once in a while always will have a special place in my heart for running. But my cousin, who is a Greek god, like he's just so fit and amazing, um, opened a CrossFit gym. And so he was just nagging at me all the time. Like, Matt, you got to do CrossFit. Matt, you got to do CrossFit. Especially as I'm like continuing this balance of food and gaining a little bit of weight and trying to run it off like really hard, right? And he's like, dude, you've got to work in some strength training because, um, you know, then you burn more calories throughout the day because your muscles are rebuilding themselves running. You burn it during the run strength training. You burn all day long. And he kept saying this. And at the time, especially CrossFit had this, um, almost negative connotation of like, ah, we CrossFit rip off your shirt. And if you don't hurt yourself, you're not working hard enough, which is never again, sports ball. It's never been my personality. 
And so I was just always like, Troy, no, I don't, it's not for me, you know, like I'm not going to do it. But every time I'd see him at family parties, Christmas, Matt, have you started CrossFit? Matt, have you started CrossFit? And then actually while we were at Prosper, they gave us that health benefit where we could spend 80 bucks a month somewhere. And I was like, well, why not just get a CrossFit pass then? And so I did it like once doing that. And it was <laughs> so hard. Like I was, I was like, I run marathons and I want to kill myself right now. This is terrible. And it was just like a crazy hard workout. So I went once, I think, and Prosper continued to pay for that pass every month. And I never went <laughs> and I just kept running. Um, and then finally, when I got married, I moved to Logan and I was still running. But then when I got married, that was the most weight I ever gained after losing it all. And I've never gained back close to where I was, but I gained like 30 pounds and that like, you can go back and look at some of my pictures on Instagram after I first got married and you'll see the chub in the face. And like, I call it the, you know, love chub. Cause I just got married and I was so happy. And I was like, and we had just started eating treats again. Cause I said, after I get engaged, so I was like, woohoo, haven't had this in 10 years. This is awesome. And it showed. And, um, <laughs> so I was like, I got to do something, you know? and found this CrossFit gym up here and decided just to go and try it. And I just fell in love immediately. Like number one, I think our gym here, um, and this is a plug to anybody who wants to go find a CrossFit gym. Like there are different types of gyms with different atmospheres. Like when I travel, I'll drop in at gyms and I've been to gyms that are bro gyms, you know, where they are just rip off the shirt, scream, hurt yourself gyms. And that like, for some people that's really motivating. It's just not me. So if that's you like go find that gym, but there are a lot of gyms. And I found one up here in Logan CrossFit Antietam where <clears throat> like we have the very, very talented athletes who compete. And then we have me who's like the poster child for average, right? Like I'm not, um, you know, they have recommended, like, this is how much you should probably do. And I think it's very archaic. They just split it into men and women and I'm like, come on, can we do it off of like skeletal mass or like blood type? I don't know. Like, let's, <laughs> let's break this down a little bit more than like I have a penis or I don't, please. Right. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> so anyway, like I, there's a lot of times I'm not even hitting women's recommended weight just because I'm not like my goal is to be doing this when I'm 90. Right. Like I don't I'm not interested in hurting myself. And so I'm just doing everything like safe, sustainably, and what's difficult for me and trying to progress in my own little box. But the gym, like even the Titans, we call them the Titans because they're so amazing. They, you know, they're like so supportive and everyone's so cool. And the difference for me between um, CrossFit and any other thing I've tried, because I also, you know, I've done plenty of Planet Fitness and Bossa and just doing my own, is it's like at CrossFit, I will burn 600 calories in 45 minutes at planet fitness it's like maybe 400 in 45 to 50 minutes you know just because i'm like okay now this machine now this machine you have a coach who is telling you what to do and how to do it so you don't get hurt and then once the time starts, there's always you know a 15 to 20 minute warm-up so you don't get hurt once the time starts everyone's doing it like we're all in this for the next 15 horrible minutes and so you're just like you just keep going because the person next to you is going and telling you, you should keep going. And 
you make friends. Like there's so much we're you know, so much good community. And so I've just totally fallen in love with CrossFit. I always thought once I had my home gym, then I wouldn't have to pay for a membership anymore. I will continue to happily pay a CrossFit membership fee for the rest of my life, I think. Because even though I have my home gym now, I use that to supplement what I'm doing at the CrossFit gym because I just love going. So I'm a little, I mean, it, they say you can get addi- addicted to working out. And it's so true. Like, and I never thought that would happen running up that mountain when I felt like I wanted to throw up every single day for six months until like it kicked in. And I found that rhythm where your heart's beating fast, but it feels good. Like for anybody out there trying to learn how to work out and who think like, it's horrible. I hate it. I'm going to throw up. I know exactly what you mean. I was there for six long months. I was there. And it does just take time for your heart to get strong enough for your body to switch until you start loving it. And then it really does become addicting. And it sounds crazy because I know how crazy it sounds because I thought people were crazy. And then you get there and you do just fall in love. And it's like, there's not a lot of things that put me in a bad mood. Like generally, I'm pretty happy, whatever, come what may, it's fine, right? If I miss my workout, Alice and my wife will tell you I'm immediately like the rest of the day is like, well, why even try? I missed my workout. <laughs> so that's probably like an unhealthy level I've gotten to, but there we are. Yeah, well, I feel like you have found that consistency is key. And yeah. therefore you can't like let go of that consistency yes. piece for yourself. And that's something that I think most people, the average person, Matt, struggles with consistency. The average person really struggles with like me. I I am that person. Consistency is my, one of my biggest challenges that I feel like is my life companion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I feel like maybe having your, this severe weight gain at a young age taught you a lesson that other people like myself are trying to learn at an older age. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to push back just a little bit against that, I think. I think we crave, and I don't know if it's because society, like growing up in the school system we grew up in, or I don't, I think there is something that's done this to us, but I think we crave rules. And I think we crave set things that we are expected, that are expected of us. And just to set a few examples, Allison, my wife, she um, was coming to the gym with me and she first set a goal to come three times a week. And she, you know, every week it was like, she'd hit once or twice, maybe, but in her mind, if she didn't go Monday, it was like, well, I can go Tuesday and still get my three days. I can go Wednesday and still get my three days. When she decided to throw that out of the window and say, I'm going every day, Monday through Friday, she came every day, Monday through Friday for two months in a row. No problem. And she was just like, oh. Like that was so much easier to have this hard set rule instead of something a little ambiguous, right? My buddy, Bryce, he was like, I'm going to be like you. I'm not going to eat sweets. And he's like, well, that seems a little intense. I'm only going to eat sweets when it's somebody's birthday. Uh, Like three days later, I see him checking Facebook to see whose birthday it is. (laughs) Oh, look. 
It's Brandon from middle school's birthday. I better have a sweet. And he testified too. He was like, it is so much easier just to have a hard rule. And so I do think like if we want to be the healthiest versions of ourselves, like moderation is a great place to go. But to me, that's like, that is the top of the pyramid. That is the hardest place to go. One set rule that you follow without question is so much easier. People say you have so much self-control and I'm like, no, I'm working on self-control. The hard thing is moderation and, and doing it a little here, a little there. That's the hard thing. Set hard rules that you never vary from are much easier to me than having that moderation. Moderation. My mom will, will definitely agree with that. She'll always, cause she is, she's always been like, telling me like be moderate Tracy and I'm like ah I struggle with moderation right so it's like easier to just make a decision or a hard fast rule yeah. that allows me to feel like I'm succeeding I'm yeah. winning I, also- I can check it off the list I did yes. it yeah like I can make a thing of it in my to-dos and like mark it off every day when I do my habit or whatever it is and so I think some of us are a lot more motivated by those uh, hard and fast rules as well. But I do think it's so much, I do think that you're right. Like the top of the mir- the pyramid is actually moderation and being able to say, oh, now is a good time. And that's not, now it's not a good time. Right. And being yeah. able to like have that wisdom to know the difference is yeah. truly remarkable. You did say something on one of your posts that really stuck out to me. And it was about your, it was your brother holding two ice cream cones. Yeah. And uh, I would love for you to tell me about that post specifically. Geez, that was a long time ago. If I remember right, we so we're in Germany and um, he just comes up to me and he's got two ice cream cones in his hand and the biggest smile on his face. And this is, po- this is pre-me eating treats again. So I still haven't had treats in almost 10 years. And uh, I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, one for me, one for you. And I was like, I don't eat, I don't need ice cream. He's like, Oh, I know. And then he just starts chowing down on both of them. So yeah, Yeah, yeah. that's great. But you talked about, sorry, in that post, you talked about what you learned was the power of saying no. Uh, Do you remember this? Anyway, I guess I just thought it was so profound because, because for me, I was like, I think a lot of us, we need to practice saying no to things. And I think there is power in being able to say like, okay, I'm not going to have that or I'm not going to do that or I don't feel comfortable with that or whatever yeah. it may be. And yeah. so I think that you practice that enough that yeah. you got grace, you were graceful about mm-hmm. other people's choices, but that you had made up your mind for yourself and practiced saying no. Yeah. And that is, I, I, you're jogging my memory now. Like that was such a hard thing in not eating treats because so many people would be like, why just have it, just have it. Like society at large, not just in the U S but in general, like many of the countries I've traveled around food is such an integral part of socializing. And so to say no to food sometimes can be very, you feel a lot of pressure and it can be so much easier just to say yes to try and not make people feel awkward or feel bad. In Korea, it was easy. They'd pressure me to eat food and I'd be like, I can't. And I just saw them an old picture of me and they'd be like, oh, 
oh yeah, you can't. And they take it away from me immediately. Right. And, uh, in the States, especially around family and stuff like I, man, birthdays were awkward for a long time because it was like, it's your birthday, have some cake, or I made you this, or I got you this. And at first it was hard, but yes, once you, once you've made up your mind and said, this is how I'm going to do it, then it's so much easier to stick to that. And once you've said it a few times and learned how to have that correspondence, it also becomes easier. And once somebody understands where you're coming from and your, your why behind what you're doing, they are more relenting and they are kinder about it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it can be, it can be hard, but it's such a powerful tool. I think, especially if you try it out for a while, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this for one month and I'm not going to deviate it from one month. And then after that month, I'm going to reevaluate and see if I want to keep doing it or if I need to change it a little bit. But for one month, I'm going to do this one thing. And that can make it easier too to have blocks of time that you're going to do it. For me, it was a little bit ambiguous because I didn't know when I was going to get engaged, but there it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, a good goal right there. Like, hey, <laughs> someday, whenever this happens, right? And I am curious, I know that you talked about how your family and your family of origin that you were taught confidence no matter the package or whatever, we just are, you're taught to be a confident person and that you have intrinsic value. What do you, what would you say to somebody who, who struggles more with their confidence, that their confidence is highly, I would say like really correlated to who they are. And therefore they feel like their appearance is a reflection of like, you know, who they are ultimately. And so what would you say to those people? How would you encourage them if they feel like they're just very connected to what they look like or whatever it may be. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. The first thing I would say to them is stop it. Look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself, stop it. That's not true. That's not who you are. And you need to tell yourself that until you believe it and vocalize it, say it. And then I would tell them, depending on how severe that is for them, go get some professional help. There are people who make it their life's work to help you through these thought processes. Don't be afraid of therapy. If you are afraid of therapy, pick up a good book to start with. There's so many good books that will talk you through those thought processes as well. First, it's got to start right here and change that thought process. Healthy body, healthy mind. Let's start with that mind because again, changing the body is not going to change the mind. So let's start with the mind and change the mind first. And then as we get in a better place there, we can start working on the body. And do you have any books that have been like your go-to or anything that's really been transformative for you in regards to something that you've read? Yeah, more along the lines of body than mind though. Al Roper, he's one of the anchors for Good Morning America. His is good for mind. I think he, it's called Never Going Back. He talks about his weight loss journey. He lost tons of weight. I really like his mentality around it because he's like, you've got to do this for you. He's like, I tried for years to do it for other people and that never worked. And he's like, you've got to do it for you. I also love that he talks about is the, just the shaming that goes on, you know, 
shaming people into being thin. And he talks about, he's like, you do not need to tell somebody they're fat. Like they know that they have extra weight. They know, like, there's no way they don't know. You don't need to talk about it to them. And so I love that precedent that he sets. Um, One of my favorite ones around body health is called burn the fat, feed the muscle. And don't be deceived by the cover. It looks like a bodybuilder book because the guy is a bodybuilder, but the content of the book is so much more than bodybuilding. Like whether you're trying to be a bodybuilder or not, it is just great entry level science about food and understanding food and understanding your body. So those are two books that I've really loved along those lines. And we were going to talk about, and I do want us to dive into this about the whole, you know, body positivity movement that can also encompass not really feeling like people are being healthy. Right. So how do you, how have you, kind of brought those together or what is, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. So I think we've kind of hit on it already, or at least you'll understand my thoughts on it. It's almost a summary of what we just talked about, but you know, there is this huge body positivity movement of go out, take a hammer, smash your scale. Like that is doing worse things to your mental health than anything that it's doing to your physical health. And you know, F the diet industry, you know, these guys suck, like stop, you know, Weight Watchers is the villain of all villains, right? Like, stop it. Like, let people know they are valued regardless of their weight. Stop shaming people. And so like, I want to say this first, like, I think all of this is a good thing. I think there has been so much shame and there has been so much focus in a very unhealthy way on people's weight. And we've hyper-focused on pounds and like all of this talk, I think is really, really good talk. And it's taking us to better places as a people, right? Like I do think it's really, really good. Um, There of course is the worry. And this is, I think what a lot of the the other side of the scale would say is like, well, then what? You're just going to die? Like, look, one of the leading causes of death is related to obesity. For the first time in human history, and this is from a report that came out in 2018. I can cite it for you if you want it. But for the first time in human history, more people are dying from eating too much food instead of eating too little. So more people are dying of obesity related diseases than of malnutrition. That is crazy. That is such a crazy turning point for humans. And it talks about the wealth that we're enjoying and all these other things. And that's worldwide. So that's third world countries too. That's not just here. So that is just a crazy statistic. It's also very frightening in a whole nother way. And so trying to balance these ideas of being body positive and loving your body and yourself no matter what. And also saying, I am going to live a full life and enjoy it and not die of one of these diseases. How do we mesh those two things? And that's really why I talk so much about body and mind health. But I think this is the key. 
So we just talked about, we talked about earlier, the pyramid and nutrition is the, is the bottom block of almost any pyramid you'll see. And then physical health. I think that pyramid needs to be modified, that the building block needs to be mental health at the very bottom, because here's something that um, the body positive movement really pushes that I agree with. And it's that no matter how fit you are, if your mental health is suffering, what does it matter? Why do you want to live until you're 90 if you don't like life and if you don't like yourself? Then you probably do want to die of some disease. And so, like, if we're not healthy in our minds, then the rest of the pyramid doesn't even matter. So, what I, my message that I want to push to everybody is if you can, do it at the same time. Work on your mental health, work on your physical health, do it simultaneously. Like, because that, like, getting physically healthy has helped my mental health too. Like, I do feel more confident. You know, doing a workout, there is nothing that gives me a dopamine hit quite like getting a good workout. And you know what I mean? Like, I feel better. I feel great. So it it can help. But you've got to do a self-check and say, where am I at mentally? Do I love myself more days than I don't? And if, if your answer to that question is no, and if looking at a scale causes you crazy anxiety, and even the thought of your weight sends you into a deep, dark place, throw it out the window for now. Get rid of the physical health. Don't think about it. We need to work on mental health first and do whatever you need to do to get. And hopefully one day, as you work on that and as you make improvements, you can start working in the physical health. And everyone is in such a different place. That's one of the huge things. And I've learned and my takeaways from my journey, it's like, we're not all the same. I talk a lot about losing weight because that was where I was coming from. I have met so many people who would die to gain a few pounds, you know, and they're on the other end of that spectrum. They're like, I just want to put on some weight. And it's so hard. And people don't see my struggle because it's all focused on people trying to lose weight or other health problems that we can't even see that people struggle with, with their health. Everyone's in a different place. Some of us might just need to work on our mental health for the majority of our lives. And if that's you, good for you for working on it. You're fine. If you weigh 380 pounds and you're doing everything you can just to be here and to be happy, you know, bravo. Like I applaud all of your efforts. You're doing great. Those 380 pounds don't mean anything. Because you are doing what you need to do to be here and to be as happy as you can be. And we'll support you in your individual journey doing that, right? And so I think just getting rid of the mindset of you're fat, so you're lazy, or you're this, so you're this. Everyone's on such an individual journey and just giving each individual some love and some grace goes a really long way.